I have a question that I would like you to consider. And it's a question that um, if, if uh, you want to, you can write that down. You can jot that down either in your phone or you can jot that down in your uh, worship folder. But it's a question that I want you to kind of ponder and reflect on over the course of our time together here this morning. And the question is this. What are you willing to sacrifice to put God first? Real simple. What are you willing to sacrifice to put God first? Last week, um, I wasn't here. My family and I were on vacation, and Pastor Aaron, he uh, spoke, and uh, he started us into chapter 18. Now, for those of you who haven't been a part of this here for a while, um, or maybe it's your first time, we're going through the book of Acts throughout the entire year. We started in January, Acts chapter 1, and now we're in Acts chapter 18, and we're about week 27, 28. So we're going going to now venture a little bit further into Acts 18. So the scripture will be on the screen. There are Bibles in front of you. As a matter of fact, whenever you can hold one of these, it is ideal. So if you remember on Sunday mornings to bring your Bibles with you, that would be fantastic. But um, otherwise, we have them in the pews in front of you, and it'll be on the screen. But Acts 18, starting with verse 18, going through verse 23. Acts 18, starting with verse 18, going through verse 23. This is what it says. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sencre because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, and he himself went into the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined, but as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail for Ephesus. And when he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the people, all the disciples. All right, so we are going to do something a little bit maybe unexpected. We're going to spend two weeks in the verses that I just read, verses 18 through 23. Now, if you were paying attention when we read through that, you may be and understandably wondering how in the world is he getting two messages out of that. Well, there are specifically two things, two things that are mentioned that at first glance, when we just kind of barrel through it, I have a feeling that we, um, we kind of overlook some important truths, whereas it is to our benefit whenever we approach Scripture, to be willing to pause and to reflect. To ask God, oh God, you know, I don't want to take anything for granted, so what is it in these verses that I can glean from? What are you teaching me, telling me here in these verses? And so today we're going to hone in on right away the first verse of chapter 18 that we looked at, verse 18 
Again, it says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. And before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sencre because of a vow he had taken. That's what we're going to be looking at here today. And one thing um, I might be a little bit unexpected, actually, I just realized, and it was intentional, so I apologize for leading you astray. The verses are not on the screen, so the tech people are not doing anything wrong. Um, I intentionally didn't want us interacting with the screen because I wanted us to spend time reflecting instead on that question that I asked. What are you willing to sacrifice to put God first in your life? Now this verse 18, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sencre because of a vow he had taken. Doesn't that seem a little out of place? I mean, this is Paul we're talking about, right? I mean, it just even a few chapters earlier, remember we had the Council of Jerusalem, and at the Council of Jerusalem, they specifically were addressing this issue between Gentiles and Jews, and uh, Christian Jews saying to the Gentiles, you got to do this, this, this in order for you to be righteous and right with God. And the Council of Jerusalem got together, and they were like, no, no, it is by grace you are saved. In Acts 15, 11, this is what they say. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. So then why is Paul going through this, this ritual? Why is he growing his hair out because of a vow? It's an interesting question. This word vow is the Greek word UK, and it means an oath. And what is an oath? An oath is defined as a solemn promise, often invoking a divine witness regarding one's future action or behavior. And this vow, this oath that Paul takes here, it actually comes from numbers. In Genesis, Exodus, numbers, right? In the Old Testament, we're going back. We see connections all throughout Scripture. We see Christ all throughout Scripture. And we get, we get pulled back into these truths that we find so often in the Old Testament. So number six in the Old Testament, God is speaking to Moses. And he's telling the Israelites who are in the desert, he's laying out the desire for various family groups. And here in chapter six, he starts talking about the Nazarites. So chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to look at verse 13, and then verse 18. So Numbers, chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, and then 13 and 18. Starting with verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, If a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite, They must abstain from wine and other fermented drink and must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. They must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. As long as they remain, you shouldn't eat raisins anyways, as long as they remain under their Nazarite vow, they must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, not even the seeds or skins. In verse 5, during the entire period of their Nazarite vow, No razor may be used on their head. They must be holy until the period of their dedication to the Lord is over. They must must let their hair grow long. And then in verse 13, now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the period of their dedication is over, 
they are to be brought to the entrance to the tent of meeting. And then verse 18, at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the Nazarite must shave off that hair that symbolizes their dedication. They are to take the hair and put it in the fire that is under the sacrifice of the fellowship offering. So this is the vow that Paul is adhering to. And at first glance, this seems kind of inappropriate. It kind of seems inappropriate for uh, considering uh, coming from someone who testifies themselves in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God so that no one can boast. But it is through this, this interesting and critical vow that Paul illuminates an important distinction in the life of a believer. The distinction between salvation and sacrificial dedication. Salvation and sacrificial dedication. Salvation is straightforward. It is, it is by grace you have been faith, saved. Through faith, we are saved through the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. And once we become saved, we are saved once and for all time, period. But sacrificial dedication is different. So what does it mean to be sacrificial, sacrificially dedicated? Well, consider wedding vows. Uh, the traditional wedding vow, when my wife and I were married in 2005 on March 5th, I probably said something Along these lines, I, Adam, take you, Sarah, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And that was all I needed to do. Once I made that vow, once I made that commitment to Sarah, we were cemented. Nothing was ever going to come between the two of us, right? Isn't that how that works? You just need that one time. That one time, right? Everyone knows that's not the case. Marriages ultimately fail because we do not intentionally pursue our spouse daily. A healthy, life-giving marriage requires sacrificial dedication. It includes daily work. It includes intentionality. It includes pursuit of one another. And why? Because marriage is made up of two human beings that left to their own devices will focus on self rather than the other. But here's the difference. In our relationship with God, that relationship is not made up of two human beings. It is made up of one imperfect human being and one perfect holy God. Yet God does not move. He doesn't move. God doesn't pull away from us. He doesn't get tired of us and kind of saunter away. God doesn't focus on self. He doesn't disregard his love and attention for you and for me, 
Rick Warren is quoted as saying, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? If you feel like you can't see God, if you feel like you can't hear him, if you feel like you can't feel him, like he's a million miles away, it's because you've moved away from him. He hasn't moved away from you. You are as close to God as you choose to be. Now, if I met with you today and you shared with me that, man, I feel so distant from my spouse. I just woke up one day and I realized how separated, far away we are from each other. My immediate response would be, what are you willing to sacrifice to put your spouse first? Similarly, if you spoke with me and you said, I feel like God is a million miles away. I feel like, man, I can't feel him or sense him in my life. My immediate reaction would be, what do you need to sacrifice in order to put God first? Paul. As we read in Acts 18, in a very flippant way, I mean, you read through it, you can totally disregard it, but Paul, in an effort to reaffirm his dedication to God, submitted to a centuries-old Jewish customary vow, not because it made him saved. It's as if Paul, in his marriage with God, was saying this, God, I committed myself to you years ago. Believing in your son, Jesus Christ. And at that moment, I was saved. And we entered together into an eternal, unbreakable relationship. And God, I know you're, you're not going anywhere. You're holy and you're perfect in every way. But I'm sinful. And it's not enough for me to simply commit myself to you in my moment of eternal salvation and then dismiss pursuing you. Because of my sin, I am prone to wander. I feel it. For that reason, I sacrifice. I shall sacrifice my desires and then daily commit myself to yours. I will dedicate my life each day to you. I will let go of my plans and will instead pursue yours. I will never stop running into your arms. There's a famous hymn that many of you have heard before, undoubtedly have sung before, called Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. One of my favorites. It was written back in the 1700s, and I want to read three verses to you. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, tune my heart to sing Thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Verse 2, here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. In verse 3, 
Oh, how great, oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. How many of you here have ever sung that song before? Almost all of us. And yet I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if there are a few words in that song that you really don't know what they mean. That's fine. What is an Ebenezer? It's not Scrooge, right? That's not who we're talking about. What is an Ebenezer? Well, the word actually comes about a thousand years before Jesus. The Israelites, they had turned away from God, completely focused on themselves. And because of that, they were then under threat of the Philistine army who was coming to vanquish them, and they were undoubtedly going to be conquered. Samuel, the prophet Samuel, kept telling the Israelites, you got to repent, turn back to God, humble yourselves, submit to the Lord. They refused to do so until a moment, until a moment where they humbly submitted themselves to God as a nation and in that moment, miraculously, God provided the means in which the Israelites were able to defeat and vanquish the Philistine army. A complete miracle. And in this moment, Samuel does something in order to affirm what it is that happened in that day. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13, it says, Then Samuel took a stone, and he set it up between Mitzpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel's territory. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The Hebrew word for Ebenezer, it means stone of help. Samuel wanted to erect something that would remind the Israelites, not just for a day or two, not just for a couple months, but for years upon years upon years, to remind God's people of God's rescue. And not just God's rescue, but God's rescue that came once they humbled themselves to him. But we know that the nation of Israel, and we know that Jews faced, failed many more times after this. They, they faced even more invasions, even more pains, even more turmoil, even more snares. But through all this, God has remained faithful. And this is true for us as well. Our lives aren't over. We're all still here. And we're too, we're going to experience dangers. We're going to experience toils. We're going to continue to experience snares. But God is always faithful. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
Like in the song, Come Thou Fount, we are fixed on the mount that is Jesus Christ. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you believe that he's the son of God, and if you believe that God raised him from the dead, and you've confessed this, the Bible tells us that you are saved. And you are fixed on the mount of Jesus Christ. God, through his redeeming love, has forever fixed us on this unmovable mountain that is Jesus. But we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, the song says. And so we must invite God to bind our wandering hearts to him like a fetter. What is a fetter? A fetter is a chain or manacle used to restrain a prisoner, and it's typically placed around the ankles. Because we're prone to wander from the mount of Jesus that God has placed us on, we must intentionally invite God to bind us by his goodness around our ankles so that we don't walk away. And Paul understood this. As as we've seen thus far in, in the book of Acts, and we'll continue to see in the chapters to come, that Paul Paul knew that salvation, that his salvation was intact. But Paul also knew how prone he was to wander himself. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, right away in verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, Paul says. Because of Paul's propensity to wander, Paul understood that he needed to sacrifice his desires and then daily express an intentional devotion to Jesus. Hence his commitment to to not cut off his hair for a duration of time as a testament, as a reminder of what he had committed to at the moment of salvation. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this, Paul says, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Just like in a marriage, I cannot simply make that commitment on the day of our wedding day and then believe that that's going to sustain that commitment for the years that follow. In order for my marriage to work with Sarah, I have to daily commit myself to her. I have to daily lay down my own desires, let go of self, and focus on her. Similarly with God, that is how we must live our lives. God doesn't move. We do. It means that when you wake up first thing in the morning, you're not immediately grabbing a cup of coffee or your phone. It means that you are immediately recognizing God's place in your life and setting the tone for the day. It means that that person that you've hurt, that you know that you have offended or that you have intentionally demeaned or whatever the case may be, that it means that you sacrifice your own desires for wanting to be comfortable and not wanting to deal with hard situations and go to that person. 
and confess your wrongdoing. It means that daily you invite the Holy Spirit to interrupt your life. It means daily that you allow him to open doors, which he, is pro- he promises to do, to open doors and to point you in a direction to say, I want you to talk to that person. Or I want you to stop what you're doing, pull over the car, get out, walk to the median, and I want you to ask that person how it is that you can help them. It means daily cracking open the Word of God, not just as a means of ritual, but as an intentional desire to want to know what God is wanting to say. And we do this by letting go of something we believe that we think we need or that we really want or we can't do without. But because we are so focused on that thing or that person in our life, we'll never put God first. Here I raise my Ebenezer. So what Ebenezer do you need to raise? What sacrifices must you make to put God first? To close the service, what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a moment of reflection to invite you to reflect and to ponder on these words. I'm not asking you to sing this with me. I want to share Come Thou Fount but rather to listen, to pray, and to ask God what it is that you need to sacrifice in order to put him first today. Come thou found every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace streams of mercy Constrained to be led.
Here's my heart, take and seal it. I'm prone to wander, I feel it. Bind my wandering heart to thee. We spend a lot of our lives thinking about what we don't have. And we often approach God with that mindset. But what if instead we approached our relationship with God by asking what do we need to let go of? What do we need to release? Knowing that holding on to that is inhibiting our ability to put God first, which is what we were created to do. Would you stand, and i like to end the service by proclaiming our creed together here this morning as we do throughout this series. Please say this out loud with me. We are the church. We have received power from the Holy Spirit. We are Jesus' witness to the world. We will give the love of Jesus to each other, to our community, and to the ends of the earth because we are the church. Amen, amen. There are going to be prayer counsel, counselors available after the service here. Um, either elders or the prayer counselors will be in that corner back there or the corner over here. I'm going to remain here at the front and pray for those that would need it here this morning. I hope that you have a wonderful day. God bless.